So Ezekiel chapter 1. In my thirtieth year, in the fourth month on the, fourth, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kebar River, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, by the Kebar River in the land of the Babylonians. There the hand of the Lord was on him. I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The centre of the fire looked like glowing metal and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance their form was human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, their feet were like those of a calf and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. All four of them had faces and wings, and the wings of one touched the wings of another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a human being, and on the right side, each had the face of a lion, and on the left side, the face of an ox. Each also had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. They each had two wings spreading out upwards, each wing touching that of the creature on either side, and each had two other wings covering its body. Each one went straight ahead. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go, without turning as they went. The appearance of the living creatures was like burning coals of fire, or like torches. Fire moved back and forth among the creatures. It was bright, and lightning flashed out of it. The creatures sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. As I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. This was the appearance and structure of the wheels. They sparkled like topaz, and all four looked alike. Each appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. As they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions the creatures faced. The wheels did not change direction as the creatures went. Their rims were high and awesome, and all four rims were full of eyes all around. When the living creatures moved, the wheels beside them moved, and when the living creatures rose from the ground, the wheels also rose. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go, and the wheels would rise along with them, because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When the creatures moved, they also moved. When the creatures stood still, they also stood still. And when the creatures rose from the ground, the wheels rose along with them, because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Spread out above the heads of the living creatures was what looked something like a vault, sparkling like crystal and awesome. Under the vault, their wings were stretched out toward the other, and each had two wings covering its body. When the creatures moved, I heard the sound of their wings, like the roar of rushing waters, like the voice of the Almighty, like the tumult of an army. When they stood still, they lowered their wings. Then there came a voice from above, above the vault over their heads as they stood with lowered wings, 
Above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli, and high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that form. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up. He looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and that from there down he looked like fire. And brilliant light surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. So was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard the voice of one speaking. In Esquire magazine in 2004, singer David Bowie gave this piece of advice. Confront a corpse at least once. The absolute absence of life is the most disturbing and challenging confrontation you will ever have. David Bowie, you may know, died earlier this year. Is he right about that? Uh, Is that the most disturbing and challenging confrontation you can have? To confront a corpse, to look your own mortality in the eye. You can certainly see how it would have been for him. In Ezekiel 1, this uh, chapter we've just read, uh, we have another disturbing and challenging confrontation. Ezekiel gets a vision of God, and it's an incredible picture. And tonight we're going to see how it confronted Ezekiel, and it's going to confront us too. We're going to see four things about this vision. It's brightness... It's movement, it's heat, and it's colour. It's brightness, it's movement, it's heat, and it's colour. So firstly, uh, it's brightness. The first and most obvious thing about this vision is how awesome God is. Uh, Everything about this vision is blindingly glorious. Read from verse 4. He says, I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The centre of the fire looked like glowing metal. It's all blinding light and glowing metal. And in the centre are these four creatures with four wings. They're cherubim, creatures that carry the throne of God. And the creatures have four faces that of a human and a lion and an ox and an eagle. Now those four creatures were often used in the ancient world to describe the divine attributes of God, that he was a God of strength, power, wisdom, insight. And because there's four of them, and because they they represent all of the different aspects of creation, you have a wild animal, a domesticated animal, uh, you have people, and you have animals of the earth, animals of the sky, everything. And there's four of them from the four corners of the globe, so to speak. Everything sits under this awesome creator God. And then uh, look up at the creatures in verse 22. Spread out above the the heads of the living creatures was what looked something like a vault, sparkling like crystal and awesome. Everything about it is awesome. Awesome in brightness. And 
above this vault that is awesome, uh, there is a throne and the throne uh, is high and high above that throne is a figure. And as you read this, this vision, you just get this sense of how transcendent God is, how awesome and beyond us he is. Everything is blindingly bright. It makes you stop and think, what's the most brilliant thing that I've seen? What's the most impressive thing? Maybe it's the fireworks at the Beijing opening ceremony at the Olympic Games. Uh, Maybe you've seen the northern lights uh, over Iceland. If you were from Babylon, uh, Babylon itself was amazing. The Ishtar Gate in Babylon was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was 14 metres high, 30 metres across, completely covered in this deep blue lapis lazuli gemstones and inlaid with rows of lions and dragons, all with gold. And it was meant to announce as you approached the city that this was the place uh, where the gods ruled, a city of power and authority. But Ezekiel's vision is way more than that. It's not just a door. Uh, Nothing comes close uh, to what Ezekiel sees when he sees the living God uh, approach him in this storm. And the thing is, even this vision, it doesn't even come close to how glorious God is. Look at how Ezekiel writes it down. He doesn't, at the end, he doesn't say, this was the Lord. No, he doesn't say even this was the glory of the Lord. Not even that. Uh, Verse 28, he says, This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. You see how much distance he puts uh, between uh, the thing that he's seen and what he knows God to be, even more than that, more than he can imagine. Take the most glorious jewel that you can imagine. Take the most powerful physical force that you've ever experienced. That is just a tiny taste a tiny bit. It's just a likeness of the appearance of the glory of the Lord. Now, is that your picture of God? Do you have that kind of a vision in your head when you think about the glory of God? Is that what you think about when you think that one day you'll stand before God? I think that our screens do us a disservice. Sometimes you're watching a movie or a TV show, and they have a need to portray God somehow. And normally they choose a kindly old man with a long beard. Uh, It's, you know, it's Morgan Freeman. It's someone like that. And I get it. It's a movie. They're not trying to give you a theological treatise or anything like that. But it's so unhelpful. We have to get that idea out of our heads. God's glory is so extreme. It can barely be expressed even by this magnificent vision that God gives to Ezekiel. He's all-powerful, all-wise over all things. I think Ezekiel's vision of God confronts how we view God, how awesome we see him as. That's the first thing about this vision, that it's brightness. The second thing to notice is its movement 
mostly just how much movement there is. Uh, The vision speeds towards Ezekiel uh, in a whirlwind. The whole thing is on the move the whole time. The creatures are moving back and forth. Verse 14 says they speed back and forth like flashes of lightning. And beside the creatures are wheels. And they look like wheels within wheels. And the picture is just of this incredible constant motion in every direction. And notice how they move. Verse 17 says, As they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions the creatures faced. The wheels did not change direction as the creatures went. See what it's saying? This God moves everywhere. And yet he doesn't change. The eternal, unchanging God, nothing limits his reach. Nowhere is too far for him to get to. Uh, No distance is beyond him, and distance does nothing to change him. He is the same always. And the wheels are covered with eyes. That's the tipping point, really, isn't it? The point where you stop trying to get the picture in your head and think that, what? There's wheels? And the eyes on the wheels? It kind of goes beyond our imagining at that point. But you can kind of see the point, can't you? That this God who moves everywhere also sees everything. He knows they're in Babylon. He's seen their misery and his sovereignty and his power. They reach that far. They extend even out to Babylon. And that's the message for Ezekiel, that God is there in Babylon. Even for the way they're feeling, even though they feel completely cut off, desolate, God comes to meet them there in exile. That's the incredible thing about the introduction to the whole book. There in verse 3, it says, The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, by the Kibar River in the land of the Babylonians. There the hand of the Lord was on him. There the hand of the Lord was on him. There God spoke to Ezekiel. Not at the temple, not in Jerusalem where you'd expect where you'd expect visions of God to to happen, but out in the refugee camp, in the dirt, by the river, there in exile, the place that you would least expect. God speaks to his people there. Uh, Let me tell you a little story. Uh, One day in 1997, a man by the name of Doc Daniels was reading a magazine and he saw a letter to the editor in which someone claimed that there was a phone booth in the middle of the Mojave Desert in California. Literally, a a fixed public telephone with the number 760-733-9969. And Doc was just taken by it. He he had no way of knowing if it was real or not, if it was actually there, uh, and he just became obsessed with it. And he started calling it all the time. Uh, All through the day, when he had breaks at work, he'd call this number uh, and he'd just listen to it ring and imagine what was out there in the desert and he told people about it he told all his friends he said oh you got to call this number it's in the desert and people thought he was weird Uh, but after a month of calling it uh, he called it one day as was his habit and he got a busy signal Uh, someone was using the phone booth uh, in the Mojave Desert and he just thought what is going on here 
And so he obviously kept calling back, calling back until the line went open again and he called and it rang and it rang and yeah, a kind of surprised person at the other end picked it up and was like, hello? And someone had answered the phone in the middle of the Mojave Desert. Uh, A lady picked up and she was a cinder miner and she didn't have a phone. So sometimes she used the phone booth. Hundreds of cases from anywhere, just literally in the middle of the desert, the last place that you would expect to find a public telephone. And Ezekiel has that experience. That the last place that you would expect God to turn up, to be able to contact God, would be in Babylon, in the refugee camp of all places, so far from from our home, from the temple, from where God has said that he will dwell. But he comes out to meet them there. And that's the point of this vision, that uh, God isn't limited to the temple. God's awesome power reaches everywhere. But that's not all this vision tells us. God is there in exile, but he's there in judgment. So notice the vision's heat. We've seen its brightness, its movement, and now its heat. Uh, The vision comes and shows God as a divine warrior. He comes in a storm, riding on wheels like a chariot. And he comes with lightning and fire and blinding light. And they're all images of God's holiness. Uh, The fact that he can't stand sin. And especially fire. That's the Bible's picture of God's judgment on sin on people for the way that they have treated God. And so there's fire everywhere. Did you notice that as we read through it? Verse 4, fire and lightning. Verse 13, fire and lightning. Verse 27, I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire. And that from there down, he looked like fire. And brilliant light surrounded him. The awesome God is here in Babylon, but it's bad news because he's not finished with his judgment on his people. He's not finished dealing with their idolatry and their immorality. And so the next 24 chapters of Ezekiel are all about that. They're all about God's judgment on his people for the way they've treated him. And so Ezekiel is there and he's confronted Uh, Not just by a corpse, not by his own mortality. He's confronted by his own sin. And he's confronted by the right anger of God at his sin. I think many of us live such private lives and together we live such polite lives that it's rare to be confronted by our sin. We don't often get confronted with how we've offended God. But God is offended by sin and his judgment on sin reaches everywhere. Ezekiel and the exiles are confronted by God, by his anger, even far off in Babylon. And we should be no less confronted by our sin uh, as we read this vision of the holy God who comes in judgment. It's a vision of brightness and movement and heat but also it's a vision of colour. 
read uh, verse 28 with me. Uh, Verse 28 is describing this figure on the throne and it says that like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. It's not an accident that uh, there's a rainbow here. See, a rainbow is uh, the Bible's image of God's mercy. Uh, In the time of the flood, uh, the flood was God's judgment on the world for all the evil and the selfishness that was just within every person uh, in the time of Noah. And this time, here in Babylon, it's a time of judgment too. But still, the brilliance of God's holiness has a rainbow over it. A reminder of God's mercy. A symbol, a token that God will show his grace. And so this whole vision actually points us forward to Jesus. Even though when you think about Jesus, his life and uh, everything that he did, it seems completely different to this vision here in uh, Ezekiel. It seems unrecognisable. But as you think it through, in essence, it's the same thing, isn't it? Uh, When God's world was far off, uh, lost, uh, cast off from God because of sin in a far country, uh, the awesome God himself uh, comes down. Nowhere is beyond his reach. He comes to a distant country and he comes with all that blinding brightness. But instead of pouring out uh, his punishment on people, he takes it on himself, on the cross. And so ultimately this vision of Ezekiel uh, is seen in God on the cross. The brightness of God in his own son, the holy God pouring out his fiery anger at sin. And on the cross, we see the gracious God, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. And I think it's there. It's there that we find the most disturbing and challenging confrontation, uh, to use David Bowie's words. Not by looking at a corpse, but by looking at the cross. It's at the cross that we see the awesome power of God at the cross that we see his infinite reach. It's at the cross that we see his fierce anger at sin. And it's also at the cross that we see his brilliant grace, that this vision uh, that Ezekiel has uh, points us forward to. So we need to ask ourselves, are we confronted by the cross? When we think about the cross, is that something that confronts you? Do you feel confronted by your sin Uh, When you think about the cross, does it disturb you that it's your sin that Jesus is being punished for on the cross? Is that a challenge? Are you confronted by that? And can you see the blinding glory of God, uh, not just in the storm and in the light and in the gemstones, but the glory of God is there on the cross in a God who gives himself for his people. There is the glory of God. And are you confronted by uh, God's awesome grace on the cross? Confronted in that it, it changes everything. It changes everything about life to see how God has loved us and showered his mercy upon us on the cross. Is that something that disturbs and confronts you? I think that it should.
On the cross, we see the glories of God and the glories of his grace are like a rainbow on a cloudy day. The cross is the place where wrath and mercy meet. So I hope you're ready for the next 10 weeks as we finish off this semester to be confronted by the book of Ezekiel, to be confronted by a God who is holy and just and angry at sin, and to be confronted by a God of grace, and ultimately to be confronted by Jesus. Why don't we pray? Father God, we thank you that you are a God of justice, but also a God of mercy. That you don't treat us as our sins deserve, but have loved us through the cross of your son Jesus. Father, please confront us tonight by the reality of our sin and the wonders of your grace. And we pray that you would continue to do that uh, as we work our way through the book of Ezekiel. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.